Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. Who can afford it? And again, it's this, this complete you know, disconnection of understanding. You know, what's happened is that the people that cannot afford this good food have been told that they cannot afford it, right? But actually, it's, the, it's our human right to have food with no food, no chemicals, no pesticides, no nothing. So it's, it's, it's almost like they've taken that human right away and just, you know, completely just told them that this is the only way. There should not be conventional and organic. There should be one food system that is good for people and good for the earth. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with Camila Fayed, the daughter of Mohamed Al-Fayed, who launched a very successful restaurant in London called Pharmacy Kitchen, with a plant-based menu composed with many vegetables, fruits and herbs that are grown on our own by a dynamic plot of land in Kent. Yes, after the episode with Mark Hyman on functional medicine last time and how to treat your grocery store like a pharmacy, here is a second interview in a row about food on Harvest Series. But I found that the interview with Camilla Fayed really echoes that of Mark, who deplores the lack of nutrients in today's food. Camilla offers an answer to this by refusing to put pesticides in her plot, and we will see together that she also thinks on a bigger scale. I interviewed her the day before she was organizing some huge meals in Kaplankaya at the Six Senses for 300 people. A plant-based menu, of course, that, by the way, turned out to be absolutely delicious. I told her I couldn't wait to try her most famous recipes, like the gut new beef burger made of walnut or lasagne with sheets made of yellow lentils. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited that you're excited about the food tomorrow. <laughs> we will be actually serving breakfast, lunch and dinner. So we're doing the whole day. A pharmacy takeover, which is amazing. And we have our main um, executive chef here. Um, who's a creative genius and yeah some of our team so it's super exciting for us and, and an amazing opportunity to kind of you know show off our what we do and it's it's a beautiful audience and people really kind of receive the the message that pharmacy brings really well it really resonates with the people here so I'm I'm very happy it's it's I'm preaching to the converted I think <laughs> how did you think about the menu Uh, menu, as in pharmacy menu, or the kind of food here in general? Tomorrow we're gonna. How did you curate ah, the menu sorry. for uh, tomorrow? So how do we create the menu? Okay, so we curated the menu very much. We've taken the pharmacy classics of what we do well, which are our best sellers, is really what our kind of customers demand. Um, so we've given you kind of tastes of the best of uh, our dishes. It was not easy to source produce here. Produce, as you know, is very much the kind of heartbeat of what we do. And the ethos is very much about, you know, the provenance. Where does your food come from? How is it sourced? Is it sustainably sourced? What, you know, chemical load does it have on it? So that for us is a total priority. But it hasn't been easy to get the produce that we need. 
So I've already um, asked a few people to say, where's the farm here? Where's, you know, Six Senses needs a farm. You catering to this, you know, massive amount of people. And it would just be so epic to have your own produce and, you know, really kind of create a beautiful community around the farm. And anyway, that is another conversation but yes so how did you find like uh, organic products well we well we've actually been doing a lot of the communication from london and just trying to communicate with local farms um organic uh suppliers so it's kind of been a production from the uk and it's not been that easy but it's nothing is impossible and we are trying to deliver the best um that we can so i'm super excited yeah and it's actually it's been interesting process because the chefs here in in, in turkey it's It's such a beautiful culture and the kind of the understanding of fresh produce and, you know, farming and, 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 and you know, that kind of understanding of natural food is obviously very normal for these kinds of cultures. But, you know, reintroducing that and, and making people reimagine that these things are possible is, is, is brilliant. So some of the conversations that we've had with the chefs here um, have been, you know, people have got, you know, got thinking and trying to understand a bit why are we going to this effort to do it all. So it's been a great... It's, Great, very super interesting for us as, as a business to learn. So as I told you, I used to live in Westbourne Grove. Yes. Uh, my lunch is there, uh, but pharmacy was not there already when I uh, used to live in London. Unfortunately, I have called you my friends. Have you been? I will go. I've never been, and uh, I haven't been back to London. But okay. Next time, for sure. I yeah, yeah please let me invite you. So. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. So my friend told me I have to try the cookies. It's her favorite uh, dish. Also one of my, my children's favorite dishes. It's my favorite dish. It's uh, a take on the cookie. It tastes just as good as as you know anything else it's actually even better so yeah so what special do you put in those cookies <laughs> <laughs> a little secret recipe yeah we, it's not even in our book actually so really? lots of people ask for the recipe of the cookies but they're fully like organic and uh, yeah i mean they're totally it's... refined sugar-free uh we use you know pure cacao uh we use oats we use just a really you know amazing in, you know the ingredient speaks for itself And then obviously it's the way you bake it, it's the way you make the cookie dough, it's about the milk that we serve on the side, you know, um, oat milk, beautiful homemade oat milk or almond milk or something. So it's a different experience of a cookie, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> And about your other signature dishes, the one you're the yes. proudest of, what are they? I'd say a lot of the seasonal dishes. So we do seasonal changes every month. So we, you know, obviously work, we work with this, you know, abundance of produce that nature provides us. So we, we're able to change every single month and we, we are led by the farm and what the farm grows. So a lot of the special dishes, we have beautiful salads with the most amazing dressings. We use a lot of the herbs from the farm. So yeah, just, just for me, my favorite dishes are, you know, everything with the farm produce and that's usually the salads, super fresh salads. Yeah, it's like, you know, all those phytochemicals, all those, that for me is what nutrition is, you know, feeling that essence of, you know, what the land and soil give you. So let's talk about uh, your farm. Can you tell me uh, where it is, how big it is? So we have a farm, it's a plot, it's about just over an acre at the moment, which in, uh, in land scale is tiny, it's absolutely tiny. And what we've done really is um, what we've been able to do over the past, uh, well, we've been operating five years, the farm. Um, you know, we've been able to grow huge amounts of food. The yield is incredible. And for me, as a kind of beginner farmer, Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very new to me, you know, the farming community, but, you know, I've always understood provenance and good food. My parents were, you know, really, really, you know, my mother did 
did nothing but, you know, try and get us the best food and, and also everything home cooked. So having that notion, you know, for me was already in my heart. I knew that that was, you know, something that I wanted to do and work with. So the, the, the farming and trying to understanding sustainable farming came very naturally to me. But the biggest surprise um, of that venture <laughs> was how much food we were able to grow. I mean, it's just been, you know, we've logged it. We have all the data from, you know, pretty much from when we opened. It's, it's a profound amount. So whoever says that, you know, organic farming isn't going to feed the world, you know, they just haven't tried. So actually from this, you know, brilliant success of this farm model, um, we've now invested in a new piece of land. It's over 130 acres, uh, very near the farm that we have currently. So we'll be expanding that and really you know, getting people um, incentivized to come work on the land, you know, create a sustainable village that we can then teach people on sustainable farming methods, education around it, teach children. You know, these are the things that need to be taught in schools, ultimately, how to grow your own food. It's a very empowering understanding for your community. So that's how we're growing. And I think that's, for me, the most exciting part of the business is, is growing the, the food production and, and teaching people that it is possible to do that. You know, that's, that's the main thing, so, so yeah. How many people do you have on your farm and how involved are you on the day-to-day -day things? Um, I'm incredibly involved from, from every aspect. Um, there isn't anything that I'm not involved in. Um, I wouldn't do it if I was not involved. You know, for me, it's, it's the heart and the soul of, of what I do and my passion is. Yeah, we have two full-time people and one part-time person. Um, they're all trained biodynamically. So we have a Demeter certification. So Demeter is the, the body of biodynamics. So they are the accreditors for um, biodynamic, uh, the Biodynamic Association. So we work very closely with them. Uh, we've been certified Demeter now. So that's, uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of organic farming, but taken to a, a much further depth, basically. Um, so all the team is trained biodynamically and, um, and that's, yeah, so it's three of us. Perry Haldenby is a gardener at Pharmacy Kitchens Farm and a certified soil lab technician specializing in soil microbiology. Perry is passionate about educating people on the importance of improving soil microbiology for human health sustainable farming and addressing ecosystem degradation. I'll let you listen to this five-minute extract of Perry's speech on stage with Camilla and Kaplankaya. They, for example, they might say, oh, I, need, uh, I need two oxygens, I need three ions, I need some boron, and I need some calcium, and I need some potassium. What they do is they write a recipe in code in, in the form of sugars, proteins, and carbohydrates, and they secrete that into the soil. This is where bacteria and fungus come into play. Bacteria and fungus, they're sensitive to these messages because it's food for them. They're like, oh, I've got some food. A bit like us, really. When someone rings the dinner bell, we run across and get the food. They'll pick up that message and they'll decode it. And they'll say, all right, that's my mission. I need to go get this plant, these exact ingredients with these exact proportions. And what they do is they go off into the soil and they go into the sand, the silts, and the clays, and they use their enzymes to secrete the nutrients that are within the sand, the silt, and the clays. They pull them into their body. Once they've grabbed them, they make a run for it back to the soil root zone, where the plants are. But unfortunately, the nutrients at this point are not in a plant-available form. They need to be transformed into a plant-available form. So you've got the bacteria and the fungus with the recipe waiting to give to the plant. So this is where it gets even smarter. 
Nature has created predators. These predators are called nematodes and protozoa. What they do is they come and they're attracted to food as well. They eat the bacteria and the fungus around the root zone of the vegetables and plants. Now, the nutrients within them now are so highly concentrated that these predators can't keep the nutrients in their body. If they keep the nutrients in their body, they'll die. So what they have to do is, just like humans, they have to go for a poo. <laughs> and they have a poo, and they poo around the root zone of your vegetables. These nutrients are now in a plant-available form. And then the plant sucks up the nutrients and says, thanks very much, that's exactly what was on my list. And this process happens every second of every day, every minute of every day, every hour of every day. It's happening all the time. So how come we're having more health problems these days? What's going on with our food? Well, remember when I said about this green revolution, what happened in the 60s? They sold this idea that you could manufacture nutrients. So they invented fertilizers. And they also thought, wow, you know, you guys spend a lot of time weeding. I'll tell you what, why don't you put some of these pesticides and some chemicals on your land as well? That will save you time, and it will save you labor. It's a win-win. And your crops, you're going to have bumper crops. That was the dream. So they started doing it. And initially, there was this boost. But then over time, what started to happen? Less crops, more pests on the plants, killing the plants, more weeds, which meant more work, which meant more tilling the land. It was just a cycle and cycle and cycle of problems. This was not in the, <laughs> this was not in the dream. The farmers became more in debt. Um, because of debt, uh, interestingly, one of the highest occupations of suicide is becoming farming because they're getting into so much debt, they can't, there's, there's an embarrassment, um, you know, the feeling that they've failed as, as, as a human being in growing. It's, it's insane. And if the they only... It's set up to fail. <laughs> well, if we can reintroduce the system, letting people know, guys, you don't need those fertilizers, you don't need the big machinery, all you need to do is add the biology, keep it simple. This is what we do at our pharmacy, we don't use any chemicals, and we don't use any tilling, or as least as possible. We use a spade. Um, and we try and keep the microbiology intact. We want to keep it alive. Because these guys are doing a job, you know, and they're doing it around the clock. And they're providing plants with the nutrients. So how do you keep them alive? Like I said, no chemicals and no tilling. Fungus, for example, it's in long strands. When you go home, or later today, Google, bacteria and fungus under a microscope, and you'll see what it looks like. Fungus is, it comes in these long strands because they're, they're kind of going off into the distance from the plant, bringing in nutrients. When you use your machinery, you're chopping these strands in half and you're killing them. And then you're often left with just bacteria. But you can't just have bacteria. You've got to have the full spectrum of the for, uh, soil food web, which is bacteria, it's the fungus, and it's the predators. You take any of those out, and you start having problems big time, which is what we're seeing right now. The good thing about this is you can take land that has been destroyed and you can replenish it with microbiology in one growing season. You can put the life back into the soil. You can put the intelligence back in the soil very, very rapidly. All you do is you create some foods that create conditions for the fungus and the bacteria. You just got to add the right organic matter. You can't, you can't put fertilizers on and expect 
needed to be sustainable. Perry and Camilla share that passion for the protection of the soil. They both say that even with a small land, one acre, they have plenty of fruits and vegetables. Time to ask Camilla how scalable is her initiative. So for me, um, scalability means education and infrastructure and, you know, resources. We need the resources to be able to, you know, have the, you know, make, you know, make the changes in our system. This is what we're trying to do is, is change the system. We don't want to be fed all these chemicals and pesticides anymore. We know that that's making humanity sick. We are looking for you know, a different way, how to feed our children, how we, we, we don't want humanity to be sick. We know, it's a fact, we know that, you know, the way that we've been treating the earth and our soils has been one of the main contributing factors for, you know, the degradation of human health. You know, we've been just looking at a pandemic two years ago. Why is everyone so sick? Do you think, Look back at the farming. Do you think we could uh, fed, feed like 8 billion people like this? Yes, so... so One of my most favorite um, activists and philosophers and writers is uh, Dr. Vananda Shiva. And she works very, very, very closely with, well, I suppose global leaders and nations to be able to kind of deliver this message of this other world that is possible. It's the way that our ancestors farmed. It's the way that we only have ever known how to farm. You know, it's only the past 60 years. It's very tiny, tiny, you know, Uh, minuscule uh, 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 time, you know, time scope that we have been doing this to our soils. It's only after the war. It's only after the war when all of these, they didn't know what to do with all the chemicals, so fine, let's put them in the soil. You know, again, science got involved um, in, in so that. So we could so, reverse. Yeah, so, so of course, it's, it's, it's a very short period of time. So it's the only way that we've ever, you know, known how to, to feed ourselves is this way. So we just need to kind of go back. You know, it's, it's almost like, We've been lobotomized, you know, and through messaging, marketing, advertising, all of these things, it's like they're feeding you a message that is not good for humanity. If uh, Boris Johnson or anyone would ask you, what's your solution, concrete solution for tomorrow, yeah. what would it be? What would you tell him? So let's talk about different leaders. So I've got different things to say to different leaders. Boris Johnson, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let's not talk about politics, though. Please don't ask me politics. Let's, so go, like, So let's, okay, let's yeah. give you just one. Okay, so Boris Johnson, you know, why don't we turn all the recreational parks in London and, you know, outer skirts of London where there is masses of land, parks just with nothing on it, just lawn, just lawn. Why don't we turn that into feeding structures for communities? Why don't we do, you know, incentivize communities to grow their own food? Why is all of that land just taken up for nothing? For nothing? For what? Because it's part of the issue with the political system. It's, 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 it's all the things that we know. It's, it's corporate greed, you know, it's, it's capitalism. It's like, you know... Politics, the politicians do not want to feed their people. They want to get rich from corporations. They want to feed the corporations. They have no interest whatsoever at all to feed humanity and help humanity at all. And, and that's been very clear. It's been very clear, you know, especially now these past few years. And do you think people who go to the uh, supermarket to buy cheap food, who don't have like, a lot of money, uh, it would take time? Like to, uh, in, organic food is more expensive. It will take time to reverse this. It's, it's one of my favorite questions about, you know, who can afford it. And again, it's this, this complete, you know, disconnection of understanding. 
you know, what's happened is that the people that cannot afford this good food have been told that they cannot afford it, right? But actually, it's our human right to have food with no food, no chemicals, no pesticides, no nothing. So it's, it's, it's almost like they've taken that human right away and just, you know, completely just told them that this is the only way. There should not be conventional and organic. There, there should be one food system that is good for people and good for the earth, right? No, that's common sense. But <laughs> that isn't. So people already, it's, it's completely segregated, the system. So it's now, you say, oh, well, you, you know, organic's too expensive. Well, actually, we need to empower the people to start growing their own food, you know, educating about that. And that's really where, you know, that, that's where we can empower them. And changing the culture is ultimately showing people, you know, why, why um, a lot of people can afford an iPhone. They save up for that. That's the moment that they want to buy that expensive piece of tech or that expensive handbag or you know, whatever it is that they're saving up for, and retraining people to understand that actually spending the money on, you know, going to your farmer's market, you know, nourishing yourself, you know, putting the best produce possible in your body so you don't get sick and your kids don't get sick, that's empowering people. And, you know, it's just, it's just a very, you know, it's, you have to kind of look through all the mess, you know, to see that actually it's a human right that we need to eat this way and all socioeconomic, you know, backgrounds, it, everyone deserves to eat that good food. It shouldn't be like that. Do you feel lonely in your path or um, do you feel early? I've definitely felt elements of both, of course, but I surround myself and I really nourish myself with people who are, you know, on, on the same journey, I think. So I don't have that sense of lonely. I'm, I'm really lucky to have a community around me and a beautiful family and, uh, you know, loneliness is a state of mind. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, you just need to look a little bit inside and see what's making you lonely, you know, and that, and yeah, so. Yeah, no, lonely as an entrepreneur maybe, or as a company, not as a person, I would say. Mm, pioneering something never feels lonely. I think it feels, I'm very motivated to, um, you know, to, to, to be on this journey and, and, You know, ultimately, it's, it's, you know, I do this for myself and my children. You know, I want to create a better world. I want them to live in a better world, ultimately. So, yeah, it's, it's for them. Camilla is the daughter of Mohamed Al-Fayed, the famous Egyptian-born businessman who's been living in the United Kingdom since the 60s, famous for owning the Ritz-Carlton in Paris, being the ex-owner of the London department store Harrods or the Fulham Football Club. As Camilla has just been mentioning her family, I asked her if she was raised as a vegetarian. No, 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 I was raised as a massive meat eater. <laughs> so I, I ate meat my whole life. I ate meat my whole life. You know, my family are, are you know, they love food. We've always had a brilliant culture. My, I have... Uh, Egyptian father and a, a Scandinavian mother from Helsinki, Finland. Um, so the culture around food has always been really important for me. So everything that I've taken from, you know, sitting down with my family, you know, almost every day eating is, you know, truly, truly a blessing. So I've taken some really wonderful things from my childhood and tried to, you know, re-immerse that into my working and, and living life. <laughs> 
Were you inspired by the business skills running in the family? Absolutely, absolutely. I think my father was very ahead of his time on a lot of things. I think he's, you know, he's a real um, activist and, and <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's a very creative man. And I definitely have, you know, have, have grown up in a very unconventional, you know, system and way of growing up and looking at life. So I can only, you know, obviously thank my parents for that, for opening my eyes to things that maybe I would never have seen before. So, yeah. Wonderful. What's your uh, diet today? So are you vegetarian, vegan? I am 95% vegan. So 5% I eat. We have our own chickens. So I eat chickens from the... Uh, not chickens, sorry. eat eggs from the land. <laughs> I don't so you eat. keep the chicken. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> you we, see we, the don't, chicken. No, we don't kill anything at all on the farm. So, But the eggs are amazing. My children love the eggs. Um, I think eggs, very for me, very limited. But if I do eat them, I'll eat them from the farm. You know, for me, a, a plant-based, uh, chemical-free, whole food diet is what I go for every time, every single time, yeah. Did you listen to Mark Hyman uh, this afternoon? Uh, I did, I yeah. did. Yeah, I saw the end of it, actually, only the end. Yeah. Okay, and uh, uh, some people look about the microbiota mm -hmm. uh, said, like, the meat is important for a mm -hmm. diet. So how do you react to that? So my personal experience is that meat doesn't suit my body. Um, I don't have the blood type to uh, process that, the enzymes from meat. So I choose to have a meat-free diet, vegetarian in that way. And, you know, same for fish. I don't eat any, uh, any fish. I, fish for me was the first thing to go because of all of the industrial chemicals in the water. And it was very difficult to find an absolutely, you know, sustainably farmed It's the biggest issue. So I, I am, you know, totally conscious of that. And, and I personally don't eat meat. You know, again, my family eat meat. We uh, source local biodynamic meat from farms that are the farms I want to support. I know what they're doing. I, you know, it's, it's yeah, support your farmer. Provenance is number one and, and with meat too. And uh, when did you have uh, this switch of mindset? Um, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me was my health failed. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So it was, you know, very much in my 20s, you know, early 20s. As I said to you, like I've had many moments that I've had, you know, kind of real um, breakthroughs um, in my lifetime, just kind of pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, you know, showing me that there's another way. So um, it started really in my early 20s and I had, you know, terrible health, mental health, physical health, like just completely. Yeah. So I've, I've seen both ends of the pendulum. That's how <laughs> you, know, you started the journey. Absolutely. I've been kind of, you know, swung from both ends and I think I can only talk by my own, you know, experience that was so profound and life-changing that I really wanted to share this with others. It's time for the harvest of the day. I asked Camilla, as I've asked to all the other guests of the Harvest Series podcast, if something could be done easily and would make the world a better place, what would she choose? Uh, empower farming communities. Yeah, empowering farming communities with the right uh, education, remove all the kind of chemical industry uh, <laughs> involvement in our farming system, all the factory farms, um, all the agrochemicals, that would be a blessing to humanity. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and Camilla Fayette's explanation about how she took action, supporting both local farming and sustainability. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. Next episode will be with Idris Aberkan, the author of Free Up Your Mind. He will tell us about our brain and how to train it. Until next time.